Hi, I'm Cheryl and Fenn. Hello, this is Christabel. Hello, this is Michael Horse. Do you enjoy listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the podcast? Have you picked up our book yet? Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book. That has over 100 cast and crew who have contributed to this book. And it's, I think people really love it. I mean, we also have community commentary where a lot of the community have participated in this. It's just a great book. We recommend you pick it up at bluerosemag.com. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. I'm Bob Engels, and you're listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I've got idea, man. You take me for a walk under the sycamore tree. The dark trees that blow, baby, in the dark trees that blow, and Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. We're not covering part 16 right now. We'll probably be out on Friday. Today we are celebrating the 25th anniversary of Fire Walk With Me. We're going to have John Thorne, the godfather of Twin Peaks, and author of The Essential Wrapped in Plastic, and co-editor of The Blue Rose Magazine. We're also going to have producer and writer Bob Angles, who co-wrote Fire walk with me hi john hey guys good to talk to you so with it being the 25th anniversary of Firewalk with me i thought it'd be great to have you on the show but i didn't want to focus on really the movie or the missing pieces i wanted to try to go somewhere in between and see some of these other little details that maybe i thought could be Interesting, stuff from the script. Yeah, sounds great. You had access to the July 1991 script of Firewalk With Me. I thought it'd be fascinating just to go through some of that stuff and maybe some other details along the way. So you've been on the show before and we've talked about it, but it was interesting that like Cooper originally was the one that investigated the Teresa Banks it was uh, cool. Case. It was cool because, like, so everything where Chet Desmond is is in the original script. It's Cooper who's who's doing the investigation. Yeah, that's right. And the, if you've got that earlier draft of the script, you can see that that's probably the most significant change. Although there's quite a few others, uh, but yeah, the entire Deer Meadow sequence where they go uh, to investigate uh, the you know the Teresa Banks murder, which we had known about from the series. Uh, we knew that this had happened, and then it had also been briefly, you know, talked about in the Cooper autobiography. Right. So the original intent was to have Cooper go investigate that murder, and then when Kyle McLaughlin, you know, pulled out, uh, didn't want to participate for as long as they needed him, then they changed it, so they, they created the character Chet Desmond. I think Robert Engel says in an interview somewhere, the co-writer of the script, they just simply changed, they just change the name in the script <laughs> from Dale Cooper to Chet Desmond and practically all the dialogue that they originally wrote for Cooper was just given to this other character Chet Desmond. It was really cool to read that script and picture 
Cooper there doing everything. Right. And John, I'm a big fan of your dream theory and everything. <laughs> I don't know. Like you read this and you're like, this fits into this mythos of Twin Peaks. And you're just kind of like, yeah, I mean, I could see that this Chet Desmond guy not existing and this being how Cooper would perceive himself uh, reliving this investigation. We should just briefly comment on that. And we, we, we found the dream theory before and uh, obviously the show is the new show is giving us a lot more information, which is expanding, you know, how we look at, at the whole thing. But, um, look, when, when, if you just had Firewalk Me by itself and you didn't even have the old series, if, you know, people were trying to watch this as a standalone film, then, yeah. you know, you kind of have to find a way, at least I did, to make it function properly as a standalone work so that it, it had a little more cohesiveness to it. And that's really what the dream theory was trying to do is, to, you know, trying to say, look, the film works if you, you know, sort of has a little more strength to it. Uh, if you can envision Cooper as this lead character, which is what they wanted to begin with. I yeah. mean, they, you know, they didn't intend to, to go the other way, but firewalk with me. And we can talk more about this as we go on. Firewalk with me is a, was a work in progress from yeah. scripting yeah. through shooting, through editing. It constantly was going through, changes and Lynch was struggling I think it was a very difficult work for him to craft I think and trying to craft something that, that functioned and you know as his own thing and so but the fact of the matter is you know 25 years later he got an opportunity to go back to this storyline in the new show and I, I believe because of that once again firewall me is open to new interpretations, that it's yeah. a changing work. Yeah, sure. I think Lynch may have may have looked at it and said, okay, now that I'm going to do 18 more hours, these are the things I want to expand upon. Maybe I kind of left them sort of complete in the, in the film, but now I can open it up again. Yeah. And, uh, without getting into too much, obviously we're going to find out more about Judy, the fact that Philip Jeffries is a prominent player, and the Chet Desmond has been mentioned, and all of that is opened up. I think Lynch, being Lynch, is able to look at Firewalk with me now and say, okay, now it functions a little differently than it did before. Yep, uh, not, I'm not trying to cop out on the dream theory. No. It was the end point of Twin Peaks, mm -hmm. and now it's the middle point of Twin Peaks. Yeah, so, that's a great way to look at yeah, it. Yeah, it's still one of my favorite things, and I just reading the script, I think it really, I could understand the reasoning behind it. I'm still a fan of it. I still, there, there's still definitely ways how it could work. There is, and I, I you know, I'll say one other thing, and we're, you know, we don't know, we have three hours to go. There's a very curious thing that happened in either part 15 or part 14, I can't remember which part it was, where they said that Philip Jeffries visited the FBI office in 1989. Yeah. And I think a lot of people online were like, well, wait a minute, in the film it should be 1988, because it coincides with mm -hmm. the Teresa Banks investigation interesting because this script that you've got now in front of you, the pre-release draft, well, the early draft of the script, has the Philippines taking place in 1989. It was supposed to take place simultaneous with Laura Palmer's last seven days. Wow. And in, in some ways, the Philip Jeffries scene was supposed to be the catalyst to put Cooper into play in the Laura Palmer investigation. Now, when they had to edit that thing, <laughs> that film, <laughs> they and I and I've written about this in the Dream Theory article. I write about how they had to edit the film, and they they pull the 1989 Philip Jeffries scene and they put put it into 1988, and they make a number of changes in order to 
accommodate that seeing take place a year later. But now we're hearing, at least maybe it's a mistake, if the scene does take place in 1989, it could start to give this original pre-release draft a little more validity, mm-hmm. which might mean Cooper was the one and who investigated Teresa Banks. I, I know it's, it's a very thin piece of evidence to hinge this on, but we don't have any storyline in a new series that says that Chet Desmond went to investigate Teresa Banks. We just know there was a Chet Desmond. Very, very thin, and it's a weak hinge, but... That 1989 got me really thinking, that's what they intended to begin with, yes. that that scene would take place in 1989. Are they rewriting Firewalk with me a little bit, or are they going back to the original draft of Firewalk with me? Right. Who knows? Interesting. Yeah, and I don't know if it's in this draft. So there's a calendar, and it says, I think, May 1989, and, and Jeffrey sees that, and then this whole May Day, May Day. But it's oh, like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. But I think he's, the calendar is saying May 1989. May Day! May Day! There's so many other elements where they're talking about dreams. Jeffrey's talking about we live inside a dream. We have music that seems to be... I mean, I know Lynch does that Mm -hmm. in a lot of his works, but there's so much dream elements within Firewalk With Me. I definitely can see how you can still say that parts of this is a dream, possibly. And and in the new series, we got that. Oh, well, we've got a lot of dream stuff in the new series. You know, let's just just say this. The dream theory, you know, um, again, my attempt to try to to reconcile some of Firewalk with me, but whether you believe it or not, and that's certainly fine, I don't, you know, if you don't, but there's no question that the first 30 minutes of Firewalk with me were changed in a number of ways. Uh, the editing in the first 30 minutes is different than in the, in the following hour, you know, yeah. a half or hour and 45 minutes or whatever. I, you know, I've said it before, and there's a lot of doubling that goes on in that first 30 minutes. It's not present in the rest of the film. We get lines repeated twice over and over again. You get all these repetitions over and over again. And none of that was in the script. So, you know, why is that suddenly there? Uh, That's something that was crafted in editing. And I think Lynch, in the editing of Firewalk with Me, was trying to do something with the film that was taking it beyond the script. Whether the dream theory is you know, is the solution or not, who knows, but there's no question there was some deliberate effort put into making that first 30 minutes very different, I think, anyway, I think it it feels different than the rest of the film, and and I'll just say this, who the heck is Lil? Are we ever going to find out? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Lil is one of the most curious parts of the entire Twin Peaks mythology, she is in that first 30 minutes. Is he going to return to that in the next three hours? Uh, 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 who knows? Who right? knows? That's, that's a pretty strange piece of the, of the story. And anyway, I'm sure, that's and I'm sure I, I said this uh, before, but Video Watchdog back in the day uh, you said Lil, it was kind of like Little Man, like the whole idea of the Little Man from another place danced in one place. It was almost like another, it was really another yeah, code. There was certainly a parallel there, for sure. Right. Yeah. You know, I thought we'd get into some other stuff from the script. You know, we had Deer Meadows, and there was talk about these shady police officers, and there was a storyline in the script where Deputy Cliff actually lived in the trailer parks, which then kind of makes you think, was there more connections between him and Teresa Banks? And actually, Chet Desmond actually calls him out on it. It's like, oh, well, I've, you know, I had got coffee from her or something at Haps. They were, obviously, they were portraying the, the local police in Deer Meadow uh, as being corrupt. 
versus the, the you know, upstanding police that we see in Twin Peaks. Deputy Cliff, he was doing some criminal dealings. And then, of course, he shows up later in the story delivering drugs to Bobby in the woods, and, yeah, they, and yeah. they kill him. Which I've always wondered, if, I still wonder, are they going to ever address that in, in the new show? I mean, Bobby did kill a guy. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> they don't kill, know. He killed another Law enforcement. Oh, wow. But do they know right. it's? They, they don't know it's Bobby who killed him, though. No, but you it's know? funny that yeah, I know. Bobby knows. Yeah, <laughs> Bobby knows. Bobby knows. And I wonder if Bobby's been able to somehow move past the fact that he killed a police officer in the woods. But maybe they will talk about it, or maybe it doesn't matter. But yeah. Um, but yeah, but but Cliff, that deputy was yeah, he was involved with some shady deals. Uh, and you could potentially connect him. You know, it, it's sort of off in the margins, but um, he, he had perhaps some connection with Teresa Banks. He had some connection with drugs. Teresa Banks had a connection with Jacques Renault, and so Jacques Renault was part uh, of the drug right. business too. And so you can see that there might have been this sort of organized crime in the in the rural parts of Washington State that was that was somehow connected between Twin Peaks and Jitter Meadow. Yeah, definitely. So in this July 1991 draft script, there is a sex scene between Cooper and Laura Palmer. I mean, like, what the heck are they thinking? What is Bob Engels and David Lynch thinking? I would say, yeah, I mean, I was telling Ben in the, in the script to see the words, uh, you know, Cooper appears in her bed and they make love. They, and right. now you don't hear the it's, words it's sweet love. Yeah, you, but, like, you, but you don't hear that word being used around Laura much. Love. It's interesting. They made love, which people just use and abuse Laura. Thing. Mm. I'm, I'm happy they took that out because I saw it as Laura is a sexual object for many men. Mm. Yes. And to right, make right. your hero that yeah. ultimately is going to save her, uh, have a sexual, yet again, another sexual yeah. encounter. Right. It, it just would really diminish that. And it's interesting how it's worded in the script about they make love. There was intimacy right. there. Wasn't raunchy sex. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that's really interesting. And I, I think you make a great point. It's a good idea that they removed it. And uh, I'm not surprised, even if Cooper uh, McLaughlin had, had participated throughout and was available for all the different times to shoot, they might have removed that anyway. It's hard to say. I've written a long essay about uh, Laura Palmer. And I mentioned that you know, uh, a lot of people know about the Dream Theory essay, but I've written actually more about Laura Palmer in Firewalk With Me than I have about uh, Deer Meadow. And Lynch was trying, I think, in Firewalk With Me to, to strengthen that character of Laura, to give her some agency, to make her less of an object and more of a subject. You can see what he does throughout the film to try to empower Laura in a very, very difficult situation because, and I mean that script-wise, because we already know Laura Palmer's going to be a victim. So how do you make her someone who can take charge of her life yeah. if she's going to end up being a victim? Uh, and so he had, he had to really struggle, I think, with Firewalk with me. And that scene, you know, I think probably would not have fit with that idea that Laura is her own person. Um, she becomes an object, perhaps. Again, it's hard to say how they would have shot that, but it is good that they did not use that scene. I agree. Yeah. The thing, interesting thing is that, you know, we have the Red Room, original Red Room dream sequence where Laura does kiss Cooper, and there is this kind of sense that Cooper is in love, maybe with the mystery of solving who killed Laura Palmer. I didn't feel that very sexual. I felt it was a very, I don't know, it was just done in a, a proper in, innocent way. Innocent kiss. way. But the idea that there was a very, very important 
a strong connection between Dale Cooper and Laura Palmer. And uh, they shared the same dream. They were in each other's lives in a way. And the film initially, you know, made Cooper a more important presence in the story and a more important connection to Laura Palmer. I, you know, I think that's something that's there, but it's not overt. But it's certainly what I think Lynch wanted to do was to connect these two, what I would consider in his mind, the two most important characters in the story, Laura Palmer and Dale Cooper. And, you know, in this film, I think he was trying to connect them. And I think in the series, he was trying to connect them. And I think maybe in the new show, he will further connect them. But, you know, we'll see. And John, like a lot of the things that we're talking about today is in your book. It's in Wrapped in Plastic, but it's in your in your book, Essential Wrapped in Plastic. And you've got these great interviews. And one of the things that we have is this whole Ben Horn scene where he's at Johnny's birthday party. And it's all taking place in his office. And you got to talk with Richard Beamer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thanks for mentioning that. I'm just going to give a real quick plug for my book. I don't usually do this, but I've seen online people asking, well, where can I find out more about Firewalk with Me? And, um, you know, I've got like 100 pages on Firewalk with Me in, uh, in my book, including a lot of interview material that we did with people behind the scenes and in front of the camera in Firewalk with Me. So, you know, it's a pretty good place to get some information. And yeah, we interviewed Rich Beamer about it. He is in the script. The character, Ben Horn, is in the script. He's giving cocaine to Laura. She comes for the birthday party. And Richard Beamer uh, did not like that characterization of Ben Horn. He did not want to participate in the filming. Seeing it scripted, I don't believe that was ever shot. I don't think he was involved in the production of the film in any way. He just didn't like the portrayal of the character. Uh, and, and, you know, that's interesting because in the series, they went through some evolution and change. Ben Horn at the end of the series is a, is a better person than he was at the beginning yeah, of yeah. the original series. And so the film was showing him maybe, you know, before he had changed and he was still kind of a, you know, nefarious kind of guy. But uh, Richard Beaver did not want to not want to do that. I look at that scene and I can see what, what Bob Angles and David Lynch were trying to do in that scene. That we, we start off with Leland looking at Laura Palmer picture on Ben Horn's desk. And it's only Laura Palmer. It's not like there's no Audrey, there's no Johnny, <laughs> no there's no, his wife isn't there. And so like and there's right. a whole discussion with with Mrs. Horn about like why isn't my picture there and that and then the scene continues by the end where Laura Palmer and Ben are by themselves. And and Laura's basically saying that you know my dad's getting jealous of you and that he doesn't want her being with any other men. I don't. I think I could see the value of it. Yeah. And what they were trying to do it was more than you know. Yeah. Ben's not a nice yeah. guy. Yeah. I think there was value to it, and of course it satisfied that you know plot point that had been mentioned in the series that you know Ben Horn had a relationship with Laura Palmer. Yeah. But yeah. of course it all happened before the show started, and so this was a way. To address that and kind of show it, bring it to life a little bit. And Richard but, Beamer also said in your interview that, like, he didn't want to do it either because, you know what, it probably would get cut. <laughs> <laughs> and he would be right. And he would write. It probably would have been cut. Yeah. I mean, the original, you also, you talked with Mary Sweeney and you talked with David Lynch. There's so many people you've talked about about Firewalk With Me in your book and talking with Mary Sweeney I think it was like originally five hours Firewalk With Me the, the first cut I mean yeah. just assembling it together five hours so you look at all this and like yes we're going to have to get rid of all these small scenes Norma and Big Ed and all these other different little scenes right. and so he was right but I, I look at it in yeah. today's new series and like 
that's our show now. Like we have these small little moments of, and so it's kind of funny to see the the model of Fire Walk with me with what David Lynch was trying to do of give gives people some scenes, and it's actually the model he's using on the new series. Which that's why we're getting eighteen hours. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I I I thought about that too. Uh, um, and, and we should mention Mary Sweeney was the editor of Fire Walk with me. She did all the editing. Uh, that was a great person to talk about uh, that film because that film. I mean, the editing. And, and the construction of that film was its own thing. It really was unique, I think, in, in the David Lynch list of films and how he, he recrafted it in editing. Uh, and yeah, they had to cut a huge amount. And you wonder, honestly, when they were filming it, they had to know there wasn't going to be a five-hour film. Yeah. They had to know. And I think Lynch, he has said it in interviews, he loves that world, he loves those characters, he, he just enjoyed doing it and I have thought the same thing that when he got the opportunity to come back and and then you know ended up with 18 hours which was supposed to be less than that initially I think he pushed to say I need to live in this world I need to I need to explore it I need to take my time with it I need to go down these various paths whether they go anywhere or not and he was perhaps remembering what he wanted to do in Fire with me but really just you know, couldn't accomplish. And here he had that opportunity. So, yeah, I think there's definitely a connection uh, to his approach to this world in, in both Firewalk and me and the new series. So there's this story, and it's not in the script, but there's a story that David Lynch wanted to use a pig. <laughs> do you want to, can you share a little bit about that? <laughs> I know probably as much as you do about that. I don't know a lot. I, yeah. I know, you know, what, what we've all read is that there was uh, supposedly a scene where Laura's in bed, and I don't know if this is simultaneous with the Bob scene where he comes through the window. I don't remember exactly where it is, but in there, there was supposed to be a pig's face, a pig's head <laughs> above her as if she was in bed with a pig. Uh. And uh, the word we hear is that Cheryl Lee was just like, no, I'm not doing that. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I just, you're crazy. I'm not going that far. Right. And, uh, and you know, I don't know how true it is. Um, I guess Shirley probably has done interviews to confirm it. But what Lynch, you know, what was Lynch's, this is what it always gets to me, is what was Lynch's intent? Why did he think that might be important? What yeah. was he trying Men or to, pigs? to do there? So, right. uh, I yeah, I, I don't know. But, but the, word, the, the story is he was going to do this, and she said no. Right. And so it never happened. And Cheryl Lee's almost up for anything. She's afraid of heights and like wild at heart. She said, okay, I'll do it. And like, having I'll a... get wrapped in plastic naked on the beach. Sure, I'll do that. She does just want anything. So this is like drawing the line. But like, a dead yeah. pig's face, right. I mean, yeah, it's pretty I, gross. Yeah, it's pretty I mean, I would see the symbolism being men are pigs. Or bestiality or that this it is... I want to go Not bestiality, me. but what do you mean you want to go bestiality? She's, she's in bed with a pig. Well, no, I well, think you know, it's, it's to show the the audience that he's a pig. Yeah, men are pigs. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I would go bestiality. It might have been that. It might have been that, and of course, uh, because you know Bob has been referred to sort of this animalistic yes. presence that he was less than human uh, when he was in human form. He is. He's just a force, you know, an animal. Uh, and maybe that was an effort to kind of uh, make some sort of visual parallel with yeah. with the depravity of that. Bob. I don't, I don't know. Again, that's a stretch. I mean, obviously the scene never even happened, so 
So who knows what, what the intent was. Yeah. So uh, you interviewed Bob Engels in, in Wrapped in Plastic issue 58, which your interview is also in your book. And one of the things we've heard many times before about this idea that Bob and Mike were from the pla a planet of corn. And here's the other thing. I actually reread this. I remember reading this when I was a kid. So I was like, you know, maybe I was 17, 18 when I first read Wrapped in Plastic. And I remember hearing about the oh this planet. But rereading your interview, I realized he also said place. So people are maybe <laughs> misunderstanding the word planet to be a place, another dimension. Robert Engels made an appearance uh, in front of an audience discussing Firewalk with me and, and mentioned this idea of, of where Bob and Mike came from. And either he said Planet of Corn or somebody interpreted it as Planet of Corn. And they wrote into Rapid Plastic and said, hey, he came, they came from a Planet of Corn. And then we took it and asked him and said, did they come from a Planet of Corn? And so maybe we kind of inadvertently created a, uh, <laughs> an urban myth that, that really, you know, was not like his intent. He, he clarifies it in the interview, and he says, no, it wasn't really a planet. It was a place. It was another place. Lynch and Engels were trying to flesh out the backstory a little bit to kind of explain what, what you know, who were Mike and Bob? Why were they together? Where did they come from? Why were they here? And I think there's an element in Firewalk with me if they want to go home. That they're, you get yeah. a sense that maybe they're they're trapped and they don't want to be there. They want to go home, which has got a little bit of a Wizard of Oz, you know, element to mm -hmm. it. Right. There's no place like I want to go home. And so I think they were trying to flesh out a backstory. Now, how much of that Lynch kept with him when he came to the new show, I I don't know. We are getting hints at you know the larger cosmos of, of what goes on in this called Twin Peaks and where these woodsmen and and different creatures, for lack of a better term, come from. And then we have Hawk's Math in the new show that has the corn yeah. in it. Yeah. And so there may be a connection. Lynch may be pulling still from those original notes that he made with Engels and Firewalk with me and bringing some of that into the new show. But they never went far with that in Firewalk with me, but they did try to work out a backstory of some sort. And we got the, the mother or the experiment spewing out these pieces of chunks of chunks. Something. Oh, it, could, right, it could be corn, could be. and you see Bob. Yeah, right. So it's kind well, of. I was thinking there's like a corn. There's, there's actual corn. I think is it in Gordon Cole's office, and we have we have other other characters spitting out corn. Yeah. In the scripts, the the two scripts I've looked at, they do not bring any mention of the angels. Do you have any backstory about the absence of the angels in the story? You know, I uh, I don't know for sure. Uh, we have heard, you know, Ben and I talked briefly about it, that maybe Cheryl Lee came up with the idea and, and, and mentioned it to Lynch about angels. But I, I I don't know for sure. I'd have to find a source yeah. that would tell me that. But, but whether, you know, wherever it came from, the fact of the matter is the angels, this is, again, evidence that this story and this film was a work in progress and it was under, undergoing change as it went along because... There is no angels in either script, the uh, the original early script and then the later script, which basically is almost exactly what we see on screen, but but no angels. Hmm, and right. I mentioned before, and I've written about, again, I've written a lengthy essay about Laura Palmer. Um, the angel element of Firewalk with Me is really one of the most important parts mm. of the entire story because uh, Laura has 
to be in a place where she thinks she's been fully abandoned and, oh. and the angels have gone away. That's her way of saying, I have been forsaken. I am a lost soul. There is no salvation or hope for me at all. She's given up on herself. And the angel, of course, is a way to represent that. Um, and then we see that happen where the angel disappears in the painting. And then so it's critical at the end when the angel appears uh, that the angels can come back. Joel Bacco and I have talked about exactly, you know, why does that angel appear? Was, is it because of Laura or is it because of Ronette? It's, it's hard to say. There's lots of great ways to interpret it. But the angels do come back, and of course Laura sees her angel at the end, and that's critical because it means she has found redemption, salvation, she has transcended, she is a good person. And for Lynch, I think it was a way of getting into that character and giving that character an arc, a story that uh, shows her change over time, even though she's going to be a victim, even though she's got to, you know, be killed at the end, the fact that she recognizes that her angels have not abandoned her is her way of realizing she's still a good person. And so she gets that at the end. And that was extremely, extremely important. I'd say if the angel element was not in Firewalk with me, then the film would not succeed. A lot of people think it doesn't anyway, but I think it does because of that. I really think mm-hmm. it's I agree, the John. most important part of the whole film is the angel. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, like, it would be such a bleak film. It would be such a downer film. Like, it's amazing. Like, this is a movie about child abuse. And somehow, because of these angels, you feel like there's a sense of hope. Yeah. And that somehow yeah. she was saved. She, she She's worth something. Like, you know, to start off with saying, oh, the, Jane, the angels are disappeared. And, you know, you lose all that hope. And then to see at the end, no, they, they've been there all along. And you've said this in your essay uh, about how, like, Lynch... Uh, would look down on them. I think when when Laura and Donna are talking, and it's like that yeah. uh, that mm-hmm. that element, the p- point of view of the angels that they were there all along right. with her. I think beautiful. That's incredible. Mm. A great thing. But yeah, I can't imagine the film without this element. And I actually yeah. love. I know. I I see why it was cut out. But I love the whole Doc Hayward missing pieces scene too, where he's telling a story mm. about the the angels, and he's trying to let Laura yep. know that, that that the angels are not having abandoned. I think that's too overplayed because then you foreshadowing lose, foreshadowing and take yeah. away the moment at the end. But it was still like a beautiful scene. Yeah, yeah, no, and the angels are extremely important, and yet you're right. And that uh, you know we have a you know, a, a hard a source for that uh, comment about the point of view. That comes from an American cinematographer essay or interview with uh, Ron Garcia, who was the cinematographer wow. on Fire Walk With Me, and he said that that positioning of the camera directly above Laura and Donna was deliberate. That was supposed to be the point of view of the angels. They are watching uh, Laura and Donna, and they have not abandoned. Oh. They're that's their point of view, and again, uh, you know, it's not in the script, but it was, you know, it, it's so funny because the script was done and it was changed, and they're shooting, and as they're shooting, they're changing it, they're adding new things that aren't even in the script, which we know, in fact, they did for the new show as well. Yeah. Stuff was yep. being added as they were shooting, yeah, and then, and then they get into the editing room. And uh, they start to make changes again. Uh, you know, Lynch and Sweeney are moving this film every scene. And earlier, they're changing a lot of stuff. They're dubbing new lines in that were obviously, you know, recorded after the principal photography. And maybe that the new show is some more. So yeah, 
That's yeah. awesome. Well, in the last week or so, there have been a whole discussion of the monkey at the end of the film saying Judy, and somebody ha- right. saw closed captioning on, I think Showtime, Showtime streaming, that said it was Jeffrey saying Judy. Yeah. But you, I mean, so I know some staff have said something, and we'll get to that, but John, you have said way back in the day that you saw connections why it could, Jeffrey's could have been the monkey. Uh, yeah, I, I actually I wrote about that a long, long time ago. And again, just studying the film by itself. Um, and, and once again, now the film no longer exists by itself. It really is the middle part of this storyline. But at the time, you know, the, um, uh, you know, there was this monkey in the film. And uh, we see the monkey at the, uh, at the meeting with yes. Bob and the little man and the Tremons and uh, some of the woodsmen. And we see the monkey briefly. Uh, and, and he's not in the, I don't think he's in the wide shot. He's in the close-up. Again, I would argue that was probably inserted later after principal photography. And then the monkey says Judy. Right. At the end of the film, we get this very brief glimpse of the monkey's face, and, and the monkey says Judy. And I just, again, in an attempt to make Firewalk With Me a cohesive, standalone film, I, I was trying to, how do you make sense of that? Well, Philip Jeffries is talking about the meeting there. He's we there. We see a monkey. Yeah. Uh, we see a monkey, but, you know, uh, we don't see it any other time. Have the monkey say the word Judy. Jeffries is the only one that right. has said Judy, so it makes sense. He's, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Jeffrey says, we're not going to talk about Judy. We're going to leave her out of it. And then the monkey says Judy. So just putting two, two together, you know, what was in Lynch's mind, well, I, you know, easy assumption that the monkey is, is Jeffries. And Jeffries took on sort of a form and hid as a monkey or whatever. Um, that may be completely wrong now because we've had a chance to change it. But but in the film by itself, I, I just can't see any other way. Right. Of, well, uh, yeah, yeah. When, when we saw we saw Firewalk with Me in the theater right. uh, back in May, right it, before right before the new series, and we got to yeah, check it out. and the audio was cranked. It was awesome. It we heard great. we heard things I never heard things. I agree. There was things I never, never heard, heard before. Yeah, and I turned to Ben. And I'm like, that sounded like that, Jeffrey's. Yeah, that, voice that was Jeffrey's like voice. Yeah, like we, there was no doubt in our minds. But we just heard was Jeffrey's voice right. saying Judy. So you're right now. You probably were just going to say, Sabrina Sutherland has come out and made a statement that the closed captioning that attributes the word Judy to Philip Jeffries in that scene is wrong, that that was not intended. So, But she you know, is talking about the closed captioning. Just because the closed captioning is wrong doesn't mean <laughs> <laughs> Jeffries couldn't still right. be the monkey. I mean, yeah. she, I think she it, basically... Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, I mean, who else could it be? I mean, yes, again, we have three hours more... They can easily give us some more information and go, oh, okay, you know, I see Jeffrey, uh, the monkey was Will. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I make sense now. I went a step further in trying to identify who Judy was, because again, to have a line so overt, yeah. like, we are not going to talk about Judy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then everybody's watching is like, well, who's, who's Judy? Judy? Right? <laughs> You're not going to talk about her, but I've got to know. So, Lynch, I think he gives you an answer in the film. In, he has the monkey appear, again, I would argue, in a shot that was added later, not scripted and not in part of, you know, just principal photography. It added later, the monkey says, Judy, and instantaneously you see Laura Palmer. They're unwrapping right. her uh, where they discovered the body. And so you mm. see the word Judy, or you hear the word Judy, and there's Laura. I, I, again, I put two and two together, and I think, well, Judy is Laura. That's her I secret like that. name. 
And, you know, and now we're, we're right on the cusp of maybe at last finding out who Judy really is because Philip Jeffries has told Mr. C met Judy before. And, you know, I, I really hope it's Laura because it would fit perfectly with what I've written about. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, it could be anyway. It really could. And Lynch has obviously, you know, the freedom to change anything he wants now. So right. hopefully we'll find out who Judy is. Yeah. 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 Cool. So, you know, I was looking also at this August 1991 draft, and it was interesting. The ending for that draft had – they were in, we're in the red room, and we have Laura sitting in Cooper's lap in the same chair. And I was like, what are they thinking there again? Like, it seems – like, to me, it seems so odd. Like, you know, I'm sure if Lynch had done it that way, we would have understood it. But to me, it's like, why is Laura <laughs> sitting on Cooper's lap? Another like, sexual – Maybe. maybe or just weird, bizarre. Yeah. What was their – intent in that scene. Um, their intent was to, again, form that bond between Laura and Cooper. That may not have been the best way, and they realized it. The better way is to have Cooper putting his hand on her on her shoulder and being a guiding presence. But again, either way, still are there to cement that connection. That's what they wanted to do. Cooper yeah. and Laura are connected. It's very exciting as we're almost at the end. More of that's got to come. And Leland says to Cooper uh, in, in part two, signed Laura. I mean, there's a connection between those two characters that's critical. And, and that's what they were trying to do in Firewalk. You know, I was talking with Brian before the series started. And it's like, oh, maybe this is going to be between Leland and Laura. And I, I didn't really realize the last few weeks, oh, wait a minute. Firewalk with me basically told that story of the father and the daughter. And I don't know if there's that much more to tell. But what about telling the story? of the mother and the daughter and I feel like mm. we're getting close to that where that like you know maybe Sarah isn't so innocent and she's got her own baggage that she's got to deal with and I feel like that's where we're getting to we're getting to the standoff possibly between Sarah and Laura Sarah Palmer you know up until recently has never been at least in my mind never viewed as a malevolent force mm. she's, um, she's always been somewhat marginal but a character who, who had more to her then met the eye, even in season one, they talk about her being a strong fender, and she had some potentially supernatural characteristics surrounding her. And of course, the most critical scene really is that last scene with Sarah Palmer in the original series where she comes in and channels someone to Major Briggs and says, I am, you know, with Dale Cooper in the Lodge, a you know, Black Lodge. And so I, I, I think Lynch may be playing on that scene a little bit as we see, you know, this Sarah Palmer, who is um, somewhat dangerous yeah. <laughs> and, and perhaps, you know, an evil force. It's hard to say what they're doing with that character. I think really it'll be addressed. I have a crazy theory right now. It's probably totally wrong, and I'm hesitant to say it because, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I wonder if people have said it was the girl in Part 8, Sarah Palmer. And I'm like, well, that makes no sense. Why would she be Sarah Palmer? It's, it doesn't fit. But could that have been Sarah Palmer? And, and she was infested with this evil um and essentially now we have it sounds always sounds crazy that we have a different sarah palmer than we had that we're used to seeing because you know something happened in the past and now we're seeing a different outcome hmm. it's a little crazy but i just can't reconcile why she is the way she is and hopefully they will explain yeah to some extent we were talking with the counter esperado boys there and uh I think that what we're basically getting at that maybe she could have gotten infected when she was young and it was only after losing her child and being broken that it almost like it was it could grow and 
kind of infest be, itself, infest itself, and really become mm. take over her life. But it, it, you had to wait for that pain and sorrow, the pain and suffering to take over. To take, to, yeah, to be yeah. such a burden that then it could take over. I just couldn't uh, wrap my head around the fact that Sarah Palmer would have evil in her. That would change right. the entire. That would change the whole story. Right. That this woman just sat idle while her daughter was being, you know, being tortured like this because she was evil too. I just don't buy it. Yeah, I don't buy that either. And that is, you're absolutely right. It's very hard to figure that out. And that's why I wonder. I mean, that, that theory you mentioned is is, is good. Uh, she didn't even know she had the evil in her. I still can't seem to shake the idea that maybe you know, I mentioned this before. The potential that Bob was removed from Mister C and brought back in time and reinserted somewhere. Well, what if he was put into Sarah Palmer. Yeah. And so now the original version that we saw, she doesn't have him, but now she does. I know Mm. that that's one of those parallel reality, change timeline kinds of things. I don't think it would ever be that deliberate, but if that girl was Sarah Palmer, I don't think the Sarah Palmer we watched had that bug crawl into her mouth. I think the Sarah Palmer we're seeing now did, and I know that's a weird way of saying it, but it's different than it was. But, you know, there may be, a, and probably will be, a completely different explanation <laughs> for, for for what is happening. I mean, you remember the whole scene where she's watching that loop of the wrestling or the boxing? Yeah. There's, there's something something going on there that is still to be expanded upon a little bit. Yeah. Right. And then we have the noises. Hawk goes to visit her, and there's noises in the kitchen. I thought with yeah. that electric sound that, oh, the woodsmen are in the house with her and yeah. stuff. That's what I... Yeah. yeah. Or Bob's sitting there. Or somebody's sitting... Yeah, the woodsmen right. are sitting there. Or yeah. the mother is... What if the woodsmen know that Laura Palmer will end up coming back to her mother somehow? Yeah. So Laura Palmer yep. is, of course... And the woodsmen have, you know basically are attempting to intercept her. They're, they're trying to get be a step ahead of yeah, Laura. Yeah, I like that. So they've gone to Sarah Palmer just waiting yeah. for Laura to show up. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. that would actually make some sense, that Sarah Palmer was unfortunately a victim again. Right. But, but, but She's the, bait. You know, the forces were, you know, they were trying to intercept Laura and they're a step ahead of her by going there. Yeah. I, I just thought I about like it now. That. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I like that yeah. Lot. I, I think that's where we're going. We talked about that in our last show yeah. a little bit. I thought that, that, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Well, I've gone through my all the things mostly I wanted to talk to you about, but I my last thing was really how it's interesting that, you know, Lynch said you really should watch uh, Firewalk With Me before the new series, and you're seeing how this is, Firewalk With Me is being incorporated in the new series. It's really yes. is fascinating to see them taking old stuff from the original series and the movie and incorporating in this new series. So cool. Yeah, no, I, it really is uh, great, especially for longtime fans who spent so much time looking at the show and Firewalk with me to see it incorporated uh, in such a fundamental way to the new show. You know, I remember before the show started, I mean, I mentioned it to you um, in the past, uh, I was I've been often surprised when I've been on Facebook or some forum somewhere uh, and even talking to people in person who said, yeah, I watched the show, but I've never watched Firewalk with me. I'm saying, I'm a fan of Twin Peaks, but I've never watched Firewalk with me. And I'm saying, well, well, first of all, you've only seen half of it, essentially. I've never yeah. seen Firewalk with me. And second, you know, the new show, Firewalk with me is a fundamental part of the new show. I mean, if you've not seen it, I mean, Philip Jeffries makes no sense. Right. You know, uh, none of the Gordon Cole dream and the flashback is going to make any sense. The Blue Rose makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in that it's a brand new concept. Like, where did that come from? Right. Uh, 
it was in Firewalk with Me. It was, it, you know, it was introduced there. Honestly, Firewalk with Me is, is an essential component to the new show. So true. Uh, so um, hopefully people have gone back and, and watched it. I don't see how you can watch the new show without it. I agree. Yeah, it's definitely. It really is. So you've got your Blue Rose magazine. It's only I think you're only about a month away from the issue coming out, issue yep. three. I am very excited about this Ooh. issue. It is an it's an episode guide that you uh, put together, John. Can you can you give us a little bit of taste or how how did that come about? How's how's the new magazine? Yeah, no. In fact, I was just editing. Uh, I got some work still to do, but yeah. the content is done. The content is done, and I'm trying to write a little bit of an explanation as to why the episode guide is the way it is. Because um, well, first of all, it's only parts one through ten. We split yeah. it up. So parts 11 through 18 will be in issue 4. The parts 1 through 10 are in issue 3. They're all written. Just We're just doing the edits. But most of it was written as I was watching a week after I'd seen an episode. So they were written without the context of the later episodes. Although, obviously, as I learn new things, I go back and tweak what I've written. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, uh, it just made, some of it made no sense at all. Uh, we just didn't know, you know, what was coming. It's very hard show to do in an episodic fashion. A lot of people write a weekly episode guide to it, but it's just an hour out of the whole thing. You know, you're just being a chunk of the full story. And so basically sort of the first draft reaction to uh, this new Twin Peaks, uh, uh, you know, with the caveat that we will return to this again and again over time as we, you know, get a better understanding of what, what's going on in the show, but these are kind of first reactions uh, to to the episode, trying to, you know, connect it in some way to the old show, try to analyze the approach that Lynch is taking to the work and, and where they're trying to go. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's pretty good, uh, but uh, there's so much so much more to write about this show um, in the years to come. Definitely. Oh, yeah. But, you know, like, in Wrapped in Plastic, I loved what you and Craig did with the episode guys. And most people say, oh, episode guys, I can go anywhere and I can read a synopsis. But your insight that you have, I think, is is untouchable. I really yeah. do love the work that you've done. <laughs> and it, you just have your own slant on it. And I think... It's not like anybody else's, so I would recommend. I, I was telling this to Scott last night. I was saying I can't wait for this episode guide. When I rewatch the series, I'll have the guide with me, and I can go along. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really excited about that. Well, I, thank you. And again, though, I'm just gonna I'm gonna sort of reiterate what I said. Uh, you know, the episode guides we wrote in Rapid Plastic, we wrote 15, maybe 20 wow. years after. Right, that's fair. 15, yeah, lot, yeah, for yeah. 15 years after the show, we thought about it in great depth, and we read the scripts, and we'd seen Firewalk with Me, and so we were able to write uh, something that had gestated for that long. This episode guide, I think it's good. I, mean, I don't in any way think it's you know. Uh, even bad. I think, it's, I think it's really pretty solid stuff. But it's like first impression. <laughs> oh come on! It's probably it must be at least third impression. You've you've rewatched these <laughs> these uh, parts of so your time. You're absolutely right. I've probably watched one of them three times before I wrote about right. them. Even so, I didn't know what was coming. Yes. Yeah. In any case, so I'm guessing. I'm like, well, I think this is going to happen. I yeah. think that's going to happen. You know, there's not a lot of value to that, except that. 
you know, you only kind of get that opportunity once. So once yeah. you pass it by, then those, some of those ideas are, are lost. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty good. We're going to come back to it again and uh, sure. and and get in get into some more oh analysis over time. Yeah, so. but I think Blue Rose Magazine is such a great resource. I like Maya uh, had done the whole missing pieces, and to me that's valuable too. Where it's like, okay, where was that scene? When is that? When can I go back? I can go back, and yeah. I feel like your guide will be the same way. Where it's like. When what what part was that and such and to be able to just skim and go yeah. through your guide and say oh yeah mm-hmm. that uh you know the the purple world took place in this part and it took place in this part right. and now I can figure out that so I think I can't wait I'm really excited and good luck uh, to you guys in finishing it yeah thanks I, I thank you very much I appreciate that I, it, is, it is pretty good and we got some really good pictures including some behind the scenes pictures that are awesome. really neat so cool. uh, and then I think parts. 11 through 18, of course, I will write, I haven't written any of that yet, and I will have written that after seeing all of it, so hmm. you'll probably be able to address the larger thematic elements of the overall show. Um, mm-hmm. But having said that, just a quick, if anyone's listening and they're like, ah, I'm still not sure, they're not going to press for this until after September 3rd, and so I'm going to have seen all of it, and if there's any significant parts that need to be talked about, I'm going to go back into this episode guide that we're still working on and make sure that material is in there. So, awesome. So cool. it, it, it will it have been completed after we've seen it all. Yeah, that's great. Can't wait. Yeah. So, John, do you want to tell people how can they get your book? How can they follow you? How can they get the, the, the Blue Rose magazine? All that good stuff. All the stuff you've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Blue Rose Magazine is available. You can order subscriptions to it at bluerosemag.com. Get the hard copy, which we're very proud of. The hard copies uh, look and feel nice. Uh, but, you know, we also offer uh, an electronic version of it as well. So you can download that when it comes out on Amazon. So you, you choose, you know, you can, yeah, it's cheaper to get the electronic version, but it's kind of nice to have that paper version. And we do offer subscriptions. We've got three issues, well, third issues about, you know, go to press. Uh, fourth issues, pretty much we know what it's going to be. And we've got content planned out beyond that. So awesome. uh, my book, uh, which collects, uh, you know, essential parts of uh, Wrapped in Plastic magazine that pertain to Twin Peaks, Including again, a lot of that far off of me. Yeah. Uh, that's available uh, on Amazon, the essential wrap and plastic, um, and you can buy, you know, the e version or the hard copy of that there. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at Thorn Whip. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John, for your time. Yeah. Hey, it was fun to talk to you guys. Thank you. Hi, Bob. This is Ben Durant from Twin Peaks Unwrapped. <laughs> Hi, Ben. How are you, man? Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you know, I've oh, been a, to it. I've been a fan of Firewalk with Me for 25 years. I saw it in theaters. I think it's a masterpiece. I really think it's it's an amazing film. What oh, it, wow! Thanks. I do. I mean, it's a tough film. It's a challenging film. It was challenging back then. It's still, I think, a very challenging film. Mm-hmm. But I I'm interested in in that. You know, in June of 1991, the last episode of the original Twin Peaks series aired and about a month later david lynch and you had a, a maybe a first draft of firewalk with me so i was curious how did it come about making the film how did you get involved with it you know i was you know, working on the show you know and that really was my first uh tv experience i don't know david and i got along great as dave would say i can mike he asked me to if i'd like to write a script with him but it wasn't twin peaks i think it was i think we started in heaven or dream of the bovine i'm not sure which one we started 
and we'd work at David's house. You know, one day, I think he came from a meeting with uh, CB2000 or whatever that company's name was, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Gleig, and he said, we're going to write a Twin Peaks movie. Cool. And we just started. Wow. So we just jumped in, and it sort of turned into what it, you know, what it is. It's a, you know, prequel and sequel. You yeah. Know? That's kind of the idea, that it would cover everything. Totally. You know, before and after, which which kind of does. Yeah, so, it does. But I think he didn't feel like he was done with the series. It was my guess. You right. Know, looking back on it. And yeah. so we just, so, we, so you know, he came in, the, we'd, we'd sit in the living room, and he came in and said, uh, uh, let's go. So we started. That's awesome. <laughs> wow, isn't that something? I think this film is very brave. It's very brave what you and David wrote. It's kind of a taboo subject because it's dealing with incest and child abuse. And I guess what I'm wondering about is like when you first started, would you say, oh, I'm going to just deal with the last seven days of Laura Palmer? Or were you looking at it as, no, we're going to have to deal with these subject matters? That's a good question. You know, we sort of went where we went. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'd have an idea of something. It wasn't so much that we were dealing with a specific issue as that we just thought, there's lots of loose ends to wind up. It's really a case of things just evolving. We say, let's sure. start here, let's get that. You get all the regulars in, and yeah. everybody has a scene. And in the first couple of drafts, everybody was in it. And mm. I think when we shot it, when David shot it, everybody had a scene. And then we we cut lots of stuff out, or David did. You know, right. the first, and the first draft was huge. The very first draft was you know, ginormous. Yeah, you know, I, I bet. My guess is that that, <laughs> that first draft was probably... 180 pages, something like wow. that. And I think that I think uh, the first cut of the film was like five hours. So it's like you could have had like two films with, with all the material you guys had. Yeah, yeah. And I think David at one point wanted to do an intermission. And then whoever was, uh, I think it was Bob Rainey who was the the money guy behind this part of it in America said, no, we're not, you can't do that because it, uh, we got to be able to show this movie, you know, five times in a day or whatever yeah. it is. You know, the, the right. time was not, the time wasn't going to work out. Rewatching it, I always think, have different feelings and definitely as a father now having children, it definitely has, a, I have different feelings and, I guess I, when I was a kid, I felt like, oh, it's all about Bob, and he's so evil. And now I, I feel like there's a little bit more responsibility on uh, Leland. And I wondered how you felt about that. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, in my mind, when I think about it, it wasn't so much about solving the mystery, but I guess it was, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had known that part of it for most of the year during the show. Right. The, well, not we, all of us, there about five of us that knew. I think what's cool about the movie for me is that it's just cover so much stuff. As I'm watching this, Leland seems to be jealous of Laura, and is he almost thinking that they're in this relationship and she's cheating on him? And like, I never thought this, but as I'm older now, I'm looking at it and it's like, wow, like, there is a human factor yeah. in this, possibly. If, if It's one way to look at it. I don't mm -hmm. know. Oh yeah, most definitely. And I was also curious, mm -hmm. did you read Jennifer Lynch's Secret Diary of Laura Palmer preparing to write the script? No, no. Uh-uh. Wow. I'm actually impressed because that, there's definitely things in there that feel like it's from the diary. We all knew what was going to be in the diary. But no, I mean, you know, it all comes from David. It's yeah. all the same stories. Yeah, but they kind of match up, don't they, I guess. You know, Cooper, originally in the first uh, draft, he was supposed to solve the Teresa Banks case, or he was investigating it, and then it got switched over to Chris Isaac. And I'm sure you get this asked all the time, but I thought I'd approach it as if... Kyle McLaughlin had decided not to do the, the movie at all. Do you think Chris Isaac would have taken on more Cooper role of like, oh, talking to Albert and Cole and and being in Lord's Dream and saying, don't take the ring? Could you have seen Chris Isaac having a bigger role in the film? Oh, yeah. You know, Kyle didn't at first didn't want to do the movie, as, as I recall. And we said, well, then uh, Chris Isaac will. <laughs> you know, it's pretty simple. Right. And somewhere in the course of getting everything ready to go, Kyle reconsidered. 
So we that 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 made it a change, which was kind of cool. But that was completely showbiz. I had heard an interview, and I, and I don't know if you can clarify it more, but you had mentioned about David Bowie's agent Jeffries, and his purpose, part of his purpose as creating this character was to kind of help Kyle Cooper get back into the film as a transition. Can can you talk any more about that? I think that was part of it. it was a way to get him back in the in the movie. I don't recall anything other than that uh, David's assistant Debbie Chutnik uh, would always come in when we were writing. She'd always come in and and joke about uh, what part David Bowie was going to have in the movie. <laughs> so then we so then we had a part for him. That's know? pretty good, uh, though. It's a good part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, he was great. He was yeah. a very nice guy. I don't know how we landed on that scene. And like I said, the, it was really that Kyle wasn't going to do it, and, and then he decided to do it. So we but that kind of helped. That kind of makes it cool. Yeah, you know? very cool. And we kind of talked about you had all these other extra scenes of other characters from town. And I think in one interview you talked about it, it was kind of a detour from the storyline of Laura, which I thought was a great concept. And have you seen the new series? Have you seen uh, Showtime's Twin Peaks? You know, I have not. I'm going to oh. wait and uh, watch the whole thing once it's done. I'll only say that it, they seem to be using the same structure as Firewalk With Me. You have these these little scenes with Twin Peaks characters that we love. And I thought that was great that to somehow go back to Firewalk With Me, or maybe it's an evolution of Firewalk With Me, to go and now do the series where they have 18 parts where they can spend a little bit of time with different characters. But I thought it was interesting that we kind of went back to the same structure that you guys originally started with with the Firewalk With Me script. Yeah, I've heard that. That it feels more like the movie. Coming yeah. Coming that too. That uh, uh, I, I, do you like it? it uh, I do. I love it. it. I mean, it's. <laughs> I, I always think Lynch sometimes is, he takes you on a roller coaster and he he plays with us and stuff. So there's things that I want. I want happening faster, but he's basically saying he's going at his own pace. It'll happen when it happens. But I do love it. I'm I'm enjoying every week that goes by, and I'm I'm kind of sad that it's almost over. The Angels were never in the first or second draft of the screenplay. I wondered if you could tell us about how um, they got added to the film. We talked a lot about redemption of Laura. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's where the Angels came from is that that idea to lift her up, literally. And I'll just say about The Angels, boy, it, it would be a different film if they weren't included. It was such a bleak film, and there, you didn't feel like there was any hope. But to have those angels in there, you felt like, wow, maybe not in this life, but in the afterlife, Laura had peace, and she was she it was hopeful. And I, I thought it was a beautiful thing to end with that. Yeah, oh, I thought it was gorgeous. So your wife had a part. She she did several things in the the original series, and she did stuff in the, uh, in the film. You know, she's the waitress. In the Great Northern, Trudy, I believe, yeah. Yeah, she's Trudy. Yeah, yeah. and I would always write when I do a script. I would always <laughs> write a scene in the Great Northern. It was wow. kind of an inside joke for yeah, everybody. Yeah. You know, and I'd say, you know, they'll meet at the Great Northern, and she's a wonderful actress. But you know, she does musical comedy. But it yeah. was uh, recently uh, reading uh, the new issue of Blue Rose magazine, where you talked to Scott Ryan, and you mentioned that she was the one that came up with "Let's Rock on the Windshield." Of- yeah, that, yeah, I think that was brilliant. Person, she would always say Corstel. All the time. Wow. When we were doing that. I'm, but yeah, it's her idea. That I mean, that's so brilliant to actually go back to a few words that the little man from another place said in a dream, and she remembered that and, and actually decided to incorporate that. And, of course, we as a viewer are the only ones that really know that supernatural meaning. But, yeah, you'll have right. to tell her how, how incredible that it was that she added oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she'd also, Michael Anderson, you know, the guy who played the, Yeah, little the, man from the another place. Guy. Most of the time when you see him on screen, my wife Jill is somewhere just off camera feeding him the backwards lines. Oh, wow. A lot of the stuff where he's, like, looking up, he's actually listening 
to Jill. Isn't that something? Mine. Isn't that something? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> then David would redo it in post, too. I think he looped a lot in post. Definitely David Lynch always seems like he's constantly uh, changing things. I mean, he, he's cha- of course, he's cha- you know, changing with you on the script, and then he's on, on set. And then even in post, he's got one more time to change it if he wants. There's so much of it is, is uh, instincts for him. Yeah. And he'll change stuff in a second. I had read in an interview that you and Lynch would have ideas and you talk about things, but for other films, and one being a Hollywood film, which later became Mulholland Drive. And I was fat, right. and I was interested by that, and I was wondering if there was talk that Sherilyn Fenn was going to have like her own spinoff uh, TV show, which was going to be kind of like Mulholland Drive. Did you ever have a part in that, that whole Audrey spinoff? No, no, I can remember that. I mean, I hadn't thought about that until you brought it up, but I think, they, I think you're right. I think there was going to be a spinoff at some point. We would have lots of different ideas. There would be lots of stuff. You'd say, well, that would be a cool idea. That right. would be a cool idea. You know, everything from biopic of somebody to other projects that David had, had started and abandoned. Or There's a real common thread with a lot of filmmakers are fascinated with Tesla. At one point, David wanted to thought about that. But, yeah. you know, I know Spielberg... Spielberg has a Tesla script. I think Coppola has a Tesla script. You know, he's a fascinating guy. You know, you'd be talking about that, and then you'd talk about Sherlyn Fan, and then, you know, I mean, they just kind of moved around. You're spending the whole day together, you know. So <laughs> it's, it's everything from uh, an idea for a project to uh, going and getting speakers. And so going, going back to, like, probably the first script or one of the first drafts, you also had, a, had a, a scene where it was Johnny's birthday party. At one point, there was going to be a birthday party in the series, and I think that's where that came from. And that got cut. Part of the reason to do the birthday party was I wanted to get Boehmer and Russ Tamlin to sing together because <laughs> they hadn't done that since West Side Story. Right. And you still and got they it, both thought, they, they both said, no, they're not going to do it. Uh, and then they both... Then they both did it. Right, for the Civil War scene, Zeb. I love that. That's great. Mm-hmm. This year is, is the 25th anniversary of On the Air, which you were a part of. Did you have fun making uh, the show? Oh, God, yeah. It was a blast. I think I wrote three of them, and David and I rewrote all sorts of it. You know what I mean? It yeah. Was, uh, that was pretty fun. And we shot them, you know, we shoot the whole episode in two days. We were on the CBS lot, the Radcliffe lot, and right next door to us, we had one soundstage, and right next door to us, they were making another new show that was going to be on. And I talked to the star of that show, just shooting the shit where we're standing around. And he said, well, you got you, you know, you got David Lynch. You guys will be on forever. <laughs> uh, and, that, and, that, and that guy was Jerry Seinfeld. No way. That's crazy. Isn't that funny? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Oh, that's so funny. He said, uh, he said you know, no, no, we, we got to fight to keep it on. You guys will be on forever. Right. You know, and then, it, you know, it did take a little while. Exact for, opposite. Uh, right? It took Seinfeld a little while. But once they got started, I mean, it was really, I think, Jerry's decision to end it. They probably could have gone forever if they wanted to. That is really oh, funny. Completely. The irony is pretty good. Well, before I go, is there anything else you want to share with us about Firewalk with me? I think the tribute to movies like that, or any project, is that they hold up. I've been teaching at Cal State Fullerton for a while. You know, I go to, I do uh, master classes. Yeah. And I shown that movie. Someone said, you know, I want to see something you wrote to hmm. give me shit about stuff. Kind of remarkable how it holds up. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like all good movies, you can you can watch them and watch them and watch them. Right. It, it's kind of, it always strikes me as so remarkable how popular it is. Yeah. You know, that, maybe uh, it was ahead of its time. I mean, maybe it was, maybe the audience wasn't ready for that film at the time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it certainly has grown. I think when it was released, there was kind of a, it might have been kind of a backlash to everything. But it's had a remarkable life from Cannes Film Festival on. Pretty cool experience. 
Yeah. And they did not boo at Canfield. <laughs> I was there. I think, like I said, I think there, was, there were lots of people who weren't quite ready for what we did. But right. Uh, 25 years, that's kind of remarkable. It's kind of a great experience. And now we've lost a lot of them. Warren Frost, unfortunately, passed away. And I think he was your uh, a professor of yours what, back in the day? <laughs> yeah. <He> was, <laughs> Small world. Warren was, my, was a professor at the University of Minnesota when I was there. And I've known Mark since he was 12. Wow. Like that. Wow. And I could walk you through uh, episodes of Twin Peaks and you can see all sorts of Minnesotans. Right. You know, we hired, yeah, I hired and then we hired Chris Mulkey, who's one of my best friends. Oh, yeah. And Who played Hank there. So that's where, that's where Chris's stuff, I, you know, I wrote right. that for Chris. That's oh, wow. Chris, you know what I mean? So, that's awesome. And then he, um, uh, the brother in law, he uh, plays in uh, Invitation to Love. I'm trying to think who he is. Montana? Oh, uh, Lance, Lance Davis. Is, yeah. yeah. Lance Davis is my classmate. And Hank Jennings goes to the Pro Board. The Pro Board are all Minnesotans. Oh, really? That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Wynda Merle. Yeah. Uh, Ken Welsh, I've known forever. I mean, I, that was my idea to cast Ken. Nice. I thought that was great. But Ken and I are great friends. I love the fo- uh, the range that he, he brought to the show. I thought he could be silly but menacing. Good villain for Cooper. He's a wonderful actor. So much of the cast of that were, you know, people we knew. And, and a lot of that's Joanna Ray, too, that she was so great at finding Damer and Russ. Who would yeah. have ever thought those two guys? I mean, that, that was kind of remarkable. That is something else. But you said, the cast is full of friends, which yeah. is how you should do it. It should. Know? I agree. I mean, you do people, you know, that people mm-hmm. are going to work hard and you got a shorthand mm-hmm. relationship with them. It works. Well, Bob, exactly. thank you so much for your time, Bob. I mean, I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It. Anytime. I, I mean, it's Anytime. been an amazing film and it means so much to us that we get to talk with you. Cool. Thank you, John and Bob, for coming on the show and sharing your insight into Firewalk with me. We'll be back later in the week to discuss part 16. I'll see you in the trees. I'll see you in the trees. The sigamore tree.